Hello, Exxon listeners. This is Nick Parker, welcoming you to the wrap-up of our special investigations into the Joan Files, the publication of some remarkable found files detailing a frankly bizarre FBI investigation in the autumn of 2008 that began with a missing persons case and ended four months later on Lake Pontchartrain as the agents of a clandestine and secretive black operation on the fringes of the US federal government confronted an alleged megalomaniac after months of ongoing investigation. Now, many of you uh, who've been listening throughout, and thank you so much for doing so, um, have dismissed a lot of what they've heard in the podcasts. The uh, series was the, started with the Yellow King Boogie, then it was Yellow King Blues, the Yellow King Variations, Yellow King Requiem. Um, obviously, these files were provided by a whistleblower, um, and we'll talk about that in a bit more detail later on, but... Um, many of you said they sort of have the quality of being a fever dream <laughs> and should be taken as pure invention. Uh, in some cases, I, I accept that as being fair critique. Um, to be fair, from my perspective, um, I've just published the files. I've really tried to stay away from uh, editorialising anything other than trying to explain things for people. But um, other than that, it's just been what it is. So uh, it's interesting to have that feedback. Um, some others of you out there, though, think that there are tantalising strands of truth uh, in sort of this content. And while some of the testimony may be the product of diseased minds, which, again, is another fair critique, they, they think there's something real and uh, really bad happened and the disaster was averted at the final seconds. Um, whatever the truth, like I say... Um, can I say thank you to all of you who've joined us for the journey all the way through, and I hope it's uh, entertained you. Now, uh, our journey began, or my journey began, uh, actually a bit earlier than when we first published. So the actual series kicked off with the boogie in November 2020 and concluded with our last file on January the 16th uh, this year, 2022. Um, but as I say, for me, the story goes back uh, to actually the summer of 2020, and an unexpected and unsolicited contact from a trusted friend in the UFO community who introduced me to Adam Jones, our whistleblower. Um, now, since then, it has been quite a journey, and as regular listeners will know, not really for the faint-hearted. Um, now that all the information has been published, though, uh, and many of you know I actually had to relocate um, during the series due to some unexpected intervention by some ne'er-do-wells, um, uh, but I'm now back home again. I felt safe enough to return home and also venture further afield, as you will soon discover. In fact, I'm literally just back from the USA. Um, and the journey has been startling overall, is kind of to say the least. But um, I don't want to get ahead of myself. So um, let's just talk about what we're going to do. So uh, this is going to be a, a short series of episodes um, based on my time in the USA. Uh, I'm going to reveal the information I've been able to gather 13 years after the events detailed in the Jones files. So uh, we're going to try and track down survivors, we're going to speak to witnesses and attempt to resolve the so many loose threads that uh, the FBI's team leader, Special Agent Justin H. Pierce, referred to in his final diary entry. And finally we're going to look forward to the future and discuss whether the events of the Jones files are ever likely to happen again as Special Agent Cecile Devereaux implied and suggested in our final file. 
I can also reveal that the next Exxon Special Investigation is currently being compiled and it uh, follows the delivery of an intriguing diary dating back to 1919 in Russia. But more on that later on. So let's start at the very beginning with our whistleblower Adam Jones. As you'll no doubt remember, this Exxon UK investigation would never have happened if not for our whistleblower releasing these files in the first place. Now, as I said, I was contacted by Mr Jones in 2020 following an introduction made by a US-based friend in the UFO community. Jones claimed to work for a branch of Majestic, known as 13, and was based within the Department of Homeland Security. He also claimed to have been in New Orleans during the first weeks of 2009 when, it's alleged, the so-called King in Yellow's Ascension very nearly took place. Now, as regular listeners will also know, my relationship with Adam Jones has been somewhat rocky uh, here and there, and uh, you'll also know it was sometimes quite a battle to keep the Jones files coming. Um, Adam made clear his unhappiness at my continued digging into elements of the case, and between the events of the Yellow King Blues and the Yellow King Variations, we actually had a complete suspension of communications that was only resolved two days prior to variations going live. Now, I don't want to really get into the ins and outs of how we communicated, um, although some of you may have heard <laughs> me under duress uh, explaining to our mystery men um, how things worked. Um, that was true at that time. It wasn't true later on. So we found various ways to communicate. Um, I have to say the ball was always in Adam's court to send me additional information um, and he was um, very circumspect and cautious about how these files were sent or disseminated um, and I had to go through quite a few hoops uh, to actually um, you know, get hold of the content and get it out to you. But, you know, we got there in the end, so I suppose that's really all that matters. Um, so I travelled to the US um, after once, once we were able to travel again after this whole COVID nightmare um, late last year in search of the person who calls himself Adam Jones. As I said at the beginning of the series, uh, I, I kind of felt this was always a pseudonym and uh, this is not our, our real man um, in reality. And I think he'd probably be mental to have <laughs> used his own name. But anyway, um, so... Um, I wanted to head state, stateside and try and find him. Uh, once he knew I was in the US, um, after he did actually make contact with me, um, and we did have an agreement to meet. I have to say that on arrival in the States, I was half expecting to be denied entry, but um, or pulled out of a line, but there were uh, no men in dark suits with dark glasses and darker intent waiting for me, or at least if they were, they stayed well out of sight. Um, from my arrival in the, in the States, I'm not going to say where I went into, but um, I was in the Eastern Seaboard. And from there, I managed to travel into the American heartlands. And uh, my first contacts were with uh, some of my UFO friends from the UFO community who've actually been pretty much in a, been in a frenzy uh, for the past uh, six months or so for three reasons. Uh, first has been the UFO report published by the Pentagon last July which pretty much confirm what many sky watchers have known for many years, that there are sightings from well-balanced and credible witnesses out there that conventional science can't explain. These remain the truly unidentified flying objects. 
Now, whilst I would encourage XI listeners always to maintain a healthy degree of scepticism, it is fair to say that some of these reports are truly jaw-dropping. Um, I'm also going to put on record and add my voice to the suggestion that advanced hypersonic technology could have been created by a rival power like Russia or China without Western intelligence services knowing anything about it is about as credible a theory as the original weather balloons were in the 1960s. And what a good history of the uh, United States disinformation campaign from World War II to the modern day on UFOs, can I strongly suggest that you watch The Phenomenon. That's uh, uh, an excellent documentary from 2020 by ufologist James Fox. The second and the third reasons for excitement are connected. The deployment of the James Webb Telescope in space and Elon Musk's work with NASA. Both of those will help renew our search for extraterrestrial intelligence and are open to public scrutiny. So uh, hopefully they can't hide the information this time. So the key question I had for my contacts is, what have they heard about Majestic in recent years? This is long an organisation rooted in myth and redacted reports. Um, but I think the overall consensus from the people that I've spoken to say that uh, it does exist, although in a much reduced form. It's apparently gone, there apparently was an uh, alleged and interdesigned civil war uh, between various uh, people within its uh, aegis. Um, however, uh, whether that's true or not, there's no direct evidence of and there's no one putting their head up and you know giving us written testimony um so uh but it is said that many of the alleged projects that it was running have been discarded or disbanded or mothballed most intriguingly as i also mentioned the phrase delta green and i was surprised the response so a couple of people who used to work uh in the intelligence services who are now uh, retired uh, or no longer involved but have obviously fairly up-to-date contacts within the um, alphabet soup brigade uh, uh, basically have, have told me that um, they have heard the phrase Delta Green or heard the name Delta Green which was kind of surprising I have to say there's also an outlandish suggestion which given the testimony that we've heard in the Jones files I find uh, we'll definitely have to take with a big pinch of salt is that Delta Green may have actually been brought back into the federal fold and that the two groups are now merged into one. Um, there is uh, an intriguing and somewhat tantalising implication that these events took place in the wake of 2009's events. So that's interesting. Um, I wonder if that's the case. Uh, did, did something give after they nearly dropped the ball completely uh, and just it seemed like the efforts of one uh, particular agent in um, agent elizabeth firth um, that may have uh, you know helped save the bacon on the day i don't know it's entirely possible but it's an intriguing thought so on to adam jones uh, and so he did actually agree to meet me um, in the first week of january in a rural Montana uh, location, a truck stop diner on a pretty remote highway, I have to say. Um, sadly, he never showed up and never gave me any reason why he did or didn't. I didn't hear from him again. He just didn't show up to our meeting. Um, I will say this, but I don't know if this is my imagination playing tricks with me. I did notice that there was a black Chevy Suburban with uh, uh, 
blacked out windows of the kind used for the Secret Service that was uh, in the nearest town, which is about 50 miles away from our location. Um, I wonder if, if he got wind of the fact that people were tracking me and were they tracking me? I don't know. Um, but as I say, he has now completely disappeared and none of the electronic methods of communication we used during the lease of the Jones Files are working. I'm going to ask Adam, if you are listening to this, if you hear this, please do let me know that you are okay and I can let the listeners know at the same time. We're all concerned for your safety. Okay, uh, that's going to be it for this episode. In our next episode, we're going to cover some of those loose ends that Special Agent Pierce uncovered. And also we're going to head to the shores of Lake Pontchartrain in search of witnesses to the events of 2009. It's intriguing listening, so I encourage you to come back for that. That's next time on the X-Zone UK's wrap-up of the Jones Files. Thanks for listening. See you soon.